So today in our text, we are going to be looking at when Abraham meets the most famous person in the entire world. More famous than anybody that you guys mentioned, I promise you that. And unfortunately, I actually had two sermons worth of material today, um, but I thought, you know, they don't want a 40-minute sermon probably, so I'm just going to cover the first half, and then if you're really curious about that really interesting interchange between Sarah, Sarah and God, um, email me and I will legitimately send you my second half of the sermon. Does that sound good? So you can get the last bit of it. So Abraham meets with uh, Three men show up at his doorstep. If you want to, jump along with me to Genesis 18, verse 1. Follow along with me. Three men show up at his doorsteps. And the narrator tells us that it's the Lord. It says, the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. This is Genesis 18, verse 1. Now, Abraham doesn't know that this is the Lord. He just thinks it's three men. He sat at the at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. So it's midday. It's hot. We can all imagine what it's like to be hot in midday, right? And remember, there's no air conditioning. So that's why he's outside of his tent, because it's probably hotter in the tent. So he's outside. It's midday, hot, balmy, Florida-like day. And he lifts up his eyes and looks, and three men were standing in front of him. Now we know that those three men are God and then two angels, but he doesn't know that. And so what does he do as these sojourners come along? We see some radical hospitality. Genesis 18, 2, I'm going to list off seven things. I'm going to go quick, and that's okay. If you don't get all of them, that's fine. But listen to this hospitality. First off, number one, he ran from the tent door to meet them. In the ancient Near East, respectable men of age, he's 100 years old, don't run. They don't do it. I mean, it's like against the rules, but he runs to meet them. Then he bows down, to the, bows down himself to the earth to show them respect, to say this is somebody who's made in the image of God. That's number two. Number three, Abraham said, O Lord, which the word Lord is, is like a word like sovereign or a person of respect. So, but it's kind of a play on words because it's actually the Lord, but he doesn't know that. He says, O Lord, if I've found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Stay here. So that's number three. Number four, I'll bring some water. You can drink some water. Number five, wash your feet. Number six, rest yourself under my tree. It's kind of cool. Imagine how nice that would be to get out of the desert and be able to rest under a tree. Then number seven, and I will bring a morsel of bread that you you will be able to refresh yourself and then you can pass on afterwards. Pretty amazing. Seven different things. And then we see he takes it to another level. They turn aside and say, okay. And then he jumps into action. He displays even more hospitality to these people. And I want you to imagine it's like one of those Iron Chef things where he's kicking his kitchen into gear. And so he runs into the tent and listen to the language. It says, and Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seas of flour, which three seas of flour is six gallons of fine flour. 
So he is not just making a morsel of bread. He's making a feast for these guys. He says, knead it and make cakes. And then he ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good. So he looked at all of his herd and said, okay, that's the best one. He gave it to a young man and he prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk, which was goat milk, which to us sounds gross. But at that point in time, it was really good for digestion. So if they're going to eat meat, get a little goat milk in there. I'm talking fast for a reason. And the, then he set it all before them. All these things. Now imagine being a traveler. And you're weary and you're tired. And you're resting under this guy's tree. And then he brings this out. Wow. Imagine you could, you can, you could see him bring it out. This huge plate of cakes. Boiled meat. Delicious curds. You can smell this great meal as it are laid before him. And you've got to imagine that these guys were like, thank you, thank you, Abraham. He promised them a morsel of bread, but he brought them a feast. So he provides this wonderful meal for them. So what's the significance of this meal? What does this have to do with us, this long, long ago meal that happened? Well, first off, I think this passage models for us the balance of biblical hospitality. The Bible says a lot about hospitality, it models, first off, that he's open-handed. He's generous with these, with these guys. A lot of times, we kind of judge, okay, who's coming over? How important are they? And we'll bring out the stops for the, the big people, and then we'll just kind of give spam to everybody else that shows up. Um, and kids, if you don't know what spam is, ask your parents. They'd be happy to make you some. It's delicious. Um, but... He doesn't know that this is God himself, but he lays out a spread for these guys. He gives them extravagant, lavish hospitality. On the other side, though, the balance of it is this, that they just show up at his doorstep. Now, hospitality has become so commercialized in our society. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes my wife and I feel like if our house doesn't look like Pottery Barn and the food we put out doesn't taste like Martha Stewart, then we've, we've you know, we can't, can't have people over. And I don't know about you guys, but if somebody showed up at my doorstep, I would not say, hey, come on in, right? Ooh, the bathroom's a little dirty. You know, there's some dishes in the sink. You wouldn't, right? Because you feel like we, we've gotten this perfectionistic hospitality, haven't we, as a culture? Uh, to give you a funny story, I had a friend of mine um, come to town this past weekend, and literally, I was finishing up all the cleaning as he, he walks up. I'm, I'm seeing him walking up, and I'm like vacuuming, and like, oh no, he's going to see me cleaning the house, because we feel like we have to have, everything has to be perfect before we can have people over. And in this passage, we see Abraham, he, he goes with it. He says, I want to provide hospitality, even if it means it's not perfect, even if it means my tent isn't all swept. And so we see that balance of biblical hospitality. He opens his home. And my first application for you guys is this. We as a church, we as Christians, should seek to live in that balance of hospitality, inviting people into our lives, even unexpected people into our lives, not being perfectionistic about it, but enjoying one another in fellowship and especially taking opportunities to invite people that you don't know, that maybe don't know Christ, and inconvenience yourself a little bit, whether it be a neighbor or a coworker, somebody that doesn't know the good news of the gospel. It could be the Mormons that show up at your doorstep. 
how they, it would blow their mind if you were like, hey, you want to have tea? Come on in, right? And, and you hang out with them. And so hospitality this week, my challenge is this. Look for opportunities for hospitality. I guarantee if you start looking for them, God will start to use it. Because here's the deal. Abraham invited those three men in, not knowing who they were. It turned out to be God. And I, I bet if you look for opportunities this summer for hospitality, somebody that you, you're feeling a kinship with or somebody that shows up in your life kind of unexpectedly, show them hospitality and watch God show up. So that's the first challenge. That's what Abraham models for us is a good, balanced, biblical hospitality. But why else is this meal significant? Because this meal is significant because it's God. It's God that shows up. He sits down and eats in Abraham's presence. We talked about how in the beginning we love to meet a famous person. Well, God literally, Abraham gets to meet God, but he also gets to eat with God. And that's incredibly significant that he gets to eat with God. God comes to dinner. He shares table fellowship with Abraham. And this is, a, this is an incredibly large deal because in the ancient Near East, it was one thing to have a business relationship with somebody or for somebody to be the, the servant and another person to be the Lord in the relationship. But it was a whole other thing to eat to share a table fellowship. What that meant is that there was a friendship. There was a kinship between the two. And I did a little research on this. You know how many times in the Old Testament, just, just the Old Testament, you know how many times that God eats with somebody? Once. This is the only time in all, the whole Old Testament that God eats face-to-face with somebody. To share a meal with somebody meant that this was a covenantal friendship. It's more than just an agreement to do each other's biddings. It's a friendship. They're sharing life with each other. Second Chronicles 20, verse 7, and James 2, 3 says this, that Abraham was called God's friend. God showing up and eating with Abraham meant Abraham, God was saying to Abraham, you're my friend. You know how many people were named friend of God in the Old Testament? One. Abraham. Only person. David was the man after God's own heart, but only one person in the entire salvation history of the Old Testament was named friend of God. So this is not a normal meeting. This is a covenantal meal. This is an act of spiritual intimacy. This is God sharing the table with a human being. God came to dinner that day. And I want to suggest that this passage exposes one of the unhealthy ways that we tend to relate to God. Whether you're a Christian, whether you're not a Christian, whether you're a follower of Jesus, whether you're on the fence about it all, we tend to box God out. This idea of intimacy or friendship with God is pretty uncomfortable for us, especially us men. We're uncomfortable with it. We can sometimes think that God wants to have a distant relationship or a working relationship with us, but there's certain things that certainly he doesn't want to look at in our lives. And and I'm going to use this illustration of a box. That's why this is up here. Um, Because we box God out of certain aspects of our life. 
Basketball players in the room, you know what I'm talking about. Boxing out somebody is when you're going for a rebound. So here's the basket right here. And somebody's coming in to try to, to, try to maneuver themselves to get the rebound. Boxing somebody out is creating space, pushing on them, using your body to block them so that when the rebound comes, you can grab it. And that's what we oftentimes do in our relationship with God. That we say, God, yeah, you can come close, but that's too far. You can have lots of my life, but not all of it, not that. Or maybe, God, you don't even want that. I was talking with somebody recently, and they explained their relationship with God like this. He said, me and God have an agreement. I will honor him. I'll try to honor him. I'll try to be ethical. I'll try to do good in my business. And God's fine with that. And he said he'll protect me. And basically, what was his words? He said that um, that way I don't have to bother God very much for his, was his specific words. I won't have to bother him very much. And I, and I thought to myself, you may have that agreement with God, but God does not have that agreement with you. That's not the God of the Bible. God is not concerned about bother, bo- being bothered by us. He's not. And so, God ate with Abraham, and it shows us the kind of relationship that we are to have with God. That God does not want to be boxed out of certain areas in our lives. Now, I know what some of you guys might be thinking. You might be thinking that God ate with Abraham. That's fine. Abraham's a special guy. God has special relationships with certain people, right? Maybe you know people that are they're just so much closer to God. Maybe, oh, you know, Mike. Mike, he's so close with God. Or maybe my spouse, she or he is close with God. But not me. He doesn't really want that kind of relationship with me. He might have wanted it with Abraham, but that kind of friendship, meh, I don't think that, I don't know if that's totally biblical. Well, I want to at this point fast forward a couple thousand years. As hopefully you've figured out, the sermon series is connecting the dots between Genesis and the life of Abraham and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of what Christ has come to do. Does God really want a friendship with us? Think about what Jesus did before he went to the cross, the night before. He got all of his disciples together and he had a board meeting and he started delegating things to different people. This is what you're going to do. Is that what he did? No, he had a meal. He gathered them all around the table and he had a meal with them. And John 15 puts these words in Jesus' mouth. Jesus said to them this, I no longer call you servants. I've called you my friends. Something happened when Jesus came. Something different about the way we relate with God. That yes, we are his servants and we bow at his feet and we serve him with all we do, but there's more. We're also invited into a friendship with God. Around that table, looking at his friends, Jesus took bread and he broke it And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Then he took the cup and lifted it up and said, this is the blood of, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. And he said, whenever you drink this, do this from the remembrance of me. What he's talking about is communion. Week in and week out, 
We celebrate communion. Why? Because we need to be reminded that we are given access to friendship with God. Think about it. Why was his body broken? Why was his blood shed? So that we could be restored to him. We could become friends with God. That's why. So that little insignificant you and the little insignificant me and every little insignificant person is now invited into friendship with God. It's beautiful. It's powerful. It's what Jesus has come to do for us. And oftentimes we push against that. We like to box God out for the same reason that we like to clean up our house before guests come over, right? We don't like to let him into here. We don't like guests to come over and see our junk because we're afraid they're going to reject us. We're afraid if they thought, if they knew how we really lived, oh man, would they really be friends with me? The same subconsciously is happening with our relationship with God. We think, God, there's certain things in my life that you can have, but there's certain things that you can't want. My addictions, my hurt, my pain, the wounds that I've gone through. God, you couldn't want that. You certainly couldn't want that because they're too ugly. They're too broken. I'll let you in, but not that close. And what I want to say to you is this. Psalm 139. The the little guys in the room who went to VBS this week, you guys should be pretty familiar with this. I'm going to read about what God knows about us already. He says, Oh Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. God already knows everything that's in here that we are boxing him out of. You search out my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. And then, little guys, if you're ready, you guys want to do the memory verse together? Yeah? Okay, let's do it. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The reality is God already knows your heart. He already knows those broken things. And what he's saying to each of you today is let me in. Let me in. Let me into whatever that is that you don't think that I'm going to accept, that you don't think that I'm going to love you. Let me into it. And I'll tell you, this is a pretty personal thing for me because each year I set a goal for myself. I try to set some sort of goal and I usually it has to do with work, or it has to do with you know, getting better at marriage, all that kind of stuff. But this year I said, okay, I'm going to set an internal goal. I'm going to try to not just stuff my junk, but I'm going to try to just lay it out before God. And it's been one of the hardest years of my life. I've realized that I am more sinful than I ever thought that I was. I'm more broken than I ever thought that I was. But this year is the year that I have known more deeply that I'm loved by Jesus Christ because I let him in. God does not want to be boxed out. He wants to come and share everything with you. He wants to break bread with you. He wants in to even the things that we're afraid to show him. And so my encouragement for you this week is take 15 minutes, 20 minutes maybe, 
And I want you to ask the question, is there anything that I'm withholding from God? Any aspect of my life that I haven't really given to him yet? And see what he puts his finger on. See what he speaks over you. Now, maybe you're not ready to give it up yet, but at least you know what it is. And you can say, okay, God, I'm not ready yet, but here it is. And I guarantee he will give you freedom in that area. Imagine, imagine what this church would be like. The impact that we can make on our community, on our friends, on our coworkers, if we started extending that radical hospitality to other people. And imagine what it could do if we started really letting God have all of us. What could we do? Nothing would be impossible for God if we just let him in. And so my encouragement to you this week Spend some time. Ask him, what have I not yet given to you? Because I guarantee the more exposed you feel, the more love that you will feel by God. So let me pray for us. Lord, thank you that you are gracious enough to not desire us to box you out, but to want to come in into our brokenness, into our sin, into our addiction, Lord, I pray you'd be gentle with us. And Lord, I pray you'd bring healing in time so that we may glorify you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.